Abba Yahweh, your breath fills my lungs again this new day, different day, our day, in that you have walked this day before, you know what's in this day, and you waited for me. Thank you, Father God. Now we walk together. Your strength, your guidance, your teaching, your truth, your knowledge and wisdom, Father God, that I am able to do your business and share that with anyone that would hear the words and listen to the message, Father God. Abba Yahweh Aman, Yeshua Aman, So, I share with you again, and I've, I've shared a few times, and sometimes um, my sharing is repetitive, and that's okay because it's a necessary thing that is done. Um, it's not a bad thing because it's the word of God. And it's good to be reminded that he is our Lord, our God, and his truth, his knowledge, and his wisdom is ever present for us. And sometimes there may be those that don't have a Bible or an opportunity to get a Bible or maybe even live in a country where they can't have one. And for those of you that don't know, yes, there are a number of countries that make it a violation of their law to have a Bible even in your possession. doesn't matter if you own it. If it's in your possession, you can be beaten, cast into prison, and in some cases, there are countries even today where people can be shot on the street if they're seen with a Bible. It sounds like a pretty extreme, but there are countries that do that very thing. The Bible tells us that we will be hated for his sake. Brothers and sisters, it's happening. It happens around us this very day, this very hour. There are countries that are inhabited by a people that desire to know about God. They will not renounce their faith in God, their belief in Jesus as the only begotten son. They will not renounce their salvation and they've been cast into prison. And <coughs> pardon me, I apologize for that. In China, there are individuals that are separated from their families and sent to extreme northern re-education camps, they like to call them. And I've shared this with you before that interestingly enough, we have individuals that are a member of our very own Congress. How they got in, I don't know. Well, yeah, I do too. Um, but at any rate, they're members of the Congress of this nation. And they like to call certain places re-education camps. That term is used quite frequently by them. But in China, these folks are sent to re-education camps, to be re-indoctrinated into their way of thinking. And they're told that if they renounce their faith in God, that they can be returned to their family. In some sad cases, they have already been killed. And their family's told that they need to renounce God because their loved ones that were taken away have done so. And that if they renounce their faith in God, 
and their belief in their leaders and their government that they'll be spared any difficulty and any hardship. Well, absolutely lied to because their loved one has already been murdered. And then they turn around and they go through hardship and everything that they had or worked for is taken away from them anyway. So the question would be, do you put your trust in an absolute lying, deceitful, iniquitous government? Or do you put your trust and faith in God and rely on him and his trust and his faithfulness that he has shown over and over and over again? Brothers and sisters, I cannot deny the empirical evidence that I have seen that God is faithful. God is truthful. God is just. And he is my heavenly father. Things we have to put in. And there are individuals that want to declare that, well, I haven't seen God do anything. Well, that's because you're looking with this finite mindset. Everything has got to be according to your timeline, except God doesn't function that way. God has a timeline. God has a purpose. And it's beyond reach for our scope of understanding. And we should stop trying to figure God out. Remember that the Bible tells us that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And his love is so beyond anything that we can comprehend. We still have people that question John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And they misinterpret. They misspeak it. They totally get it wrong. And they try to declare. I've heard people try to make it a racial issue with God's coming for everyone, <laughs> for God so loved the world. He didn't say anything about a specific race or people. For God so loved the world. That would be, that's pretty inclusive. Anywhere that I've studied or schools that I've been to or books that I've gone through, when you talk about that, you're talking about a pretty inclusive grouping. Um, it's just like I've shared with you before that there are individuals that they don't like to say, they don't like to use the term when they're, when they're doing uh, biblical teaching, they don't like to say the, the word army because they're afraid to be offensive to individuals. Well, I say too bad, so sad because an army has got nothing to do with a militaristic operation, actually. The term army is just a large body or grouping of people. The army of students were just, they were in the, the university courtyard and they were just, there was so much noise because there were so many. They weren't doing anything militaristic. They weren't shooting guns. They weren't attacking anything. It was just a really, really big group of people. The army of kids descended on the county fair. Every ride was lines and lines and waiting and waiting, and they ran out of food a dozen times in all the cons in all the uh, kiosks. They kept running out of food. 
because there were so many kids. It has to do with the size of a group. That's not anything militaristic. So people want to get offended by so many things so easily. So what do I say? And you'll find that I don't soft soap things very often. If ever at all. Don't be apologetic. Don't be sugarcoating or honeycoating the gospel of the word of God. And just like I tell you, when I say and use the phrase, I don't care, it's not an antagonistic or uh, there's no animosity in that. It's just that the valuation of my Lord, my God matters to me much more than anything anybody on this face and this plane of existence can say or do. So many people get caught up in what other people are saying or will say about them or may say about them and sometimes it doesn't even happen. So why are you worried about it? I don't care. I simply don't. Valuation and my God's validation of what I do, much more important. Much more important than anyone. I don't care the opinions that they might express. I will respect that because we should do that but it doesn't mean that I have to agree with him. Here's the thing that you have to understand. <laughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Jesus didn't agree with everything anyone said. You can see when he was brought in before the Sanhedrin and many times they tried to make a big confrontational issue out of it, but Jesus wasn't gonna have any of that because that's not what he was about. Jesus was about truth and testimony of the truth, only the truth, so help him God. And God did. And he did because Jesus, of course, is the word of God. And again, we have clarification of that in John 1, if you read it in its context and tells us and lays out the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. So, don't be worried about all this stuff. And here's how we, here's how we uh, receive that peace that Jesus tells us about and his giving of that. Remember when he showed up in the upper room and the disciples were gathered there because it was shortly after his crucifixion and they were so worried and so pent up about what was gonna to happen to them because now Jesus has been crucified. Jesus is no longer with them. And they were so concerned because now the, the Jewry, the upper echelon of the temples and synagogues throughout Jerusalem and those neighboring cities and villages and towns. Now they're on a tear. Now they're looking for everyone that had anything to do with Jesus. And the disciples were fearful. Remember that word, fearful. Fear God doesn't mind because 
we turn our weakness to him and he gives us strength. But when you are fearfully driven, you are driven to act and react in ways that you don't normally act and you act and react to others the way that you don't normally. So let me pose this to you. When the disciples were with Jesus and they were comfortable because he was there and around all the time and they they witnessed things that went on with him in the Sanhedrin and he came back. Now, Jesus is gone. He'd been crucified. And the disciples don't have him there. So now they become fearful. They re are reacting to things that are going on around them the way that they normally would. Before they would go to their own homes and, you know, you had Peter went home to his wife and his mother-in-law was there. She was very sick. Remember, there was a healing there when Jesus came in and took her by the hand and and kicked out the fever. And Andrew had his house and so forth and so on. And people went to their residence. Well, they weren't doing this now. They were huddled together and trying to encourage one another because they were fearfully driven. Fear had taken over and they went and locked themselves in to the upper room or an upper room that they had used before. Well, Jesus showed up through a locked door. Here's a contemplation that I have. I, you know, I, I don't struggle with it, but I still kind of ponder it once in a while, is that I see after Jesus rose and he did all the things that he said he would do, and all the miracles that the disciples witnessed, <clears throat> and yet they question things. Even when he, before his crucifixion, they questioned him walking on the water, coming out to the ship that they were on, and they became fearful. Oh yeah, they became fearful, and they were afraid, and they were crying out to one another, oh, it's a spirit, it's a spirit, it's a ghost. Well, yeah, Jesus came out to them. They didn't get it. And when they went on the boat, they'd already seen a few miracles. And Jesus went to nap in the back of the boat because he was tired. And so they went out. And as fairly normal with the Sea of Galilee, it was pretty, the weather was pretty unstable, you might say, because a storm could come up at any time. And often did. So when they went out on the boat, Jesus laid down to take a nap and then the storm came up. And they became restless. They became fearfully driven. And they went and they woke him up instead of realizing, saying, you know, this storm isn't going to do anything. We have Jesus with us. Jesus with us. Emmanuel. God is with us. But they became fearfully driven and they went and they woke him up. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, what are we going to do? The waves are going to flood the boat and we're going to go down. What did Jesus do? He gave him a gentle rebuke when he got out. Oh, ye of little faith. And then just turned his back to them and said, peace be still. 
And what happened? The storm stopped. The waves relaxed. The clouds parted. And then the disciples that had seen him do miracles and things already, and they were, had witnessed the authority that Jesus has, they then began to question amongst themselves. What manner of man is this that even the waves obey his command? Even the wind obeys his command. Who is this guy? What's this guy about? Brothers and sisters, I got to share this with you. It happens today, the same thing, except that it happens, I think, a little more frequently because Jesus is not physically here. He's spiritually here. But because individuals don't see him or see our God, they tend to question a lot. But I share this with you that the empirical evidence that has been placed before me is too profound to question. I cannot question because I have seen too many things too many times that the faithfulness of my Lord, my God is all powerful. And he does what he says he's going to do. It doesn't always happen with our timing or when we would like to see it happen, but that's not for our determination. Remember what Jesus teaches us here. We're going to jump over to the book of Matthew. Yeah, we're going to Matthew. I like Matthew. Matthew's a good guy. A lot of people complained about Matthew because he was a tax collector. I mean, my goodness gracious, Peter used to give Matthew such a hard time. My goodness, Matthew gave him a hard, or Simon gave him a hard time. Quite honestly, just my opinion, there's no evidence to this. I think Peter was a little jealous, though. Well, just because he was a tax collector. And remember, you have to remember something that Peter, he kind of used a little bit of um, deception in order to get Matthew to adjust the books as a tax collector. So being able to get a favor with him, that was okay. But the fact that Matthew was a tax collector, that bothered Peter a lot. Didn't matter so much that he did him a favor when he needed it. But it certainly bothered him that Matthew was a tax collector. Here's the thing, though. You have to understand. In that day, Matthew was paid by the Romans. And I'm quite certain just... It doesn't say so in the scripture. And there's not real... It's more circumstantial evidence that... The Sanhedrin were getting favors from he and the other tax collectors because they lived quite well. I'm not sure what kind of pain they, but I'm, I'm, they were collecting quite well. And they got really angry when Jesus tossed the money changers out. So they were probably making a pretty good sum of money there. If you figure that they were charging for blessings of all the sacrifice and changing the money from the poor folks that came to worship God, 
So they were stealing from them and God, and that's when Jesus got mad and he scourged them out of the courtyards. <clears throat> said that you've turned the house of prayer into a den of thieves. Hmm. At any rate, we have a way and we have to understand this prayer. And I hear and understand that people... They can, they can, they don't get it. That the will of God is the important, <clears throat> and that Jesus actually prayed to God at one time. And this is in the scriptures, by the way. You can find this when Jesus went to the garden, and he was praying to Abba Yahweh, and he went alone to pray. This is when they came up and they Judas betrayed him. And he went and he was in such fervent prayer that he burst blood vessels in and around his face. The capillaries around his face started to break because he was praying so earnestly for everyone that was going on and everything that was about ready to happen. And we'll get a little physiological here with, with the human, that your face is full of capillaries and, and what happens is that on occasion they swell when you see these uh, people that tend to do a lot of heavy drinking or things, you see their face get really bright red or things happening. This is because the blood is really going to these capillaries that are all over the face and it they expand and they get filled and you get redness and things that take place. But when Jesus was praying in the garden, he was praying so earnestly and he was praying so fervently that he broke blood vessels. And Jesus also asked, he told God, he said, if this cup be taken from me, what was he talking about? He was talking about being crucified. He knew that they were going to put him on a cross. They were going to nail him to it. That they were going to beat him to a, pulp, a literal pulp, which they did. They beat him so much that he could barely walk. <coughs> Pardon me. And that he had to have help in carrying a cross of Golgotha, the place of the skull. And yet, in the same breath that he asked God to deliver him from this, what did he say? Not my will, but thine. The only begotten Son of God, if he had asked earnestly and truthfully, and had just decided that he was going to change his mind. He didn't want to die on the cross after all. But he didn't do that. He went and he died for me. Because he saw me from way, way, way over there. Wherever there was at the time. And he saw me. He saw you. 
And he came and he did it. Not my will, but thine. And this is what he teaches us here. He said, and we can find this in Matthew 6, 9. And this is kind of interesting. This came up in class last night. I was thinking about it and um, talking about prayer. So I'm going to actually start in Matthew 6, 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your father knoweth what things ye have need of, need of, before ye ask him. He likes us to communicate with him. He already knows, but he likes us to talk to him because he is our good heavenly father. And Jesus teaches because the disciples had asked him, Teach us how to pray. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. His will. Not ours. We don't get what we want when we want it because that's our will. It's God's will. Pray it and let it go and wait upon the Lord. And then this is an important thing here. Give us this day our daily bread. What is... Jesus mean by that? Give us this day our daily bread. Is he talking about feeding us? Well, yes, but he's not talking about physically. And he's talking not talking about eating on this plane of existence. What he's talking about is the daily bread, the daily word of God, the delivery of the word of God. Daily, the word of God, the Bible, is called the bread of life. The word of God is the bread of life. This goes back to something I've shared with you before. What is the word of God? That would be our Lord Jesus. And there are scriptures that say that he is the bread of life. that he is in tune with the Father God, in tune with the Bible. He teaches it. The Bible tells us about him and his walk and his teaching, shares the gospel. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us every day. And what does it say about the word of God? What did Jesus say to the devil when he was being tempted? When Jesus was tempted by Satan? Jesus had already been fasting, so he was weak. And the devil thought that he had him in a snare. Yeah. Oh, 
Tangled webs we to see we weave, only to stumble and fall and bump your knees. <laughs> Pardon me, I couldn't help that. Um, Satan tried to tempt Jesus by, hey, look, here, I know you're hungry. You've been fasting for, what, and 40 days now, and... Um, now you're coming out here, and I, I'm just going to have to show you that I'm going to have to beat up on you a little bit. Well, see, Satan thought that he was going to be at the advantage because Jesus had been fasting. Didn't work, though, because every time that he tried, Jesus went into the house and drew out Rema, and he parried the thrust of Satan. Three times he tried and three times he was shooed away by Jesus parrying his thrust with what he thought was a deadly blow and he was going to win over our Lord Jesus. Jesus just pulled out one of the many swords. <coughs> Pardon me. Sorry about that. And he told him when he tried to tempt him with a stone, just turn it into bread, it'll be okay. And Jesus told him that it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Wow. Think on that. Our very existence comes from the breath of God. Every breath that I have in the morning comes from God. He fills my lungs. It is his breath in my lungs. It is the day that he has made that he gives me life to walk. And remember that the scripture tells us that tomorrow is not promised. But God, isn't it something that God has more faith in us than we have in God? That just, sometimes that's just so astounding to me is that he has more faith in us than we exhibit in him. And that we, as true believers, as his children, need to exercise our faith in him much more than what we do. Great is his faithfulness. Every day, every day, every day. Wow. And we just need to practice. And this is the thing that, that sharing in class is that we have to practice. Everything does not come automatically at a snap of a finger by God's magic. First of all, God isn't magic. That's a term that uh, comes from this plane of existence and we like to use that term. But the thing of it is that everything does not happen at the snap of a finger. Once we accept that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and God, we want to have faith in him and is our Heavenly Father and we commit to that. We believe in that and we have faith in him. It doesn't mean that um, we just float 
above the ground and we move around in this kind of, um, what's the term I want to use? There's a word I was thinking of and I just forgot. I'm sorry about that. But anyway, we don't float above the ground and just kind of move through time and, and space that is in kind of a, a coasting manner. It doesn't happen. And we have to realize too that in this plane of existence that we do live in, on, here, is broken. We broke it. All this stuff that people get to shake in their fists and go, why does God do this? Why does God do that? Why this, why this? Wham, 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 wham. They shake their fists at God and try to blame God for everything that happened. Well, first of all, let's get this straight. Blame comes from nowhere but hell and the devil. And if you're doing that and you're so busy trying to blame God for something that isn't even remotely close to his being responsible, then you need to really re-examine your walking and talking. And if you haven't become a Christian and accepted that, then then explore that possibility because here's the thing. Having faith in God does make things easier. It doesn't seem like it, but it does. That's because we are so busy looking with our temporal vision that we fail to see with the eyes of our heart, which is where God lives in our hearts and his love and he shares with us all the time. These things, we have to recall, remember too that that people that continually go in places where they shouldn't go and build and, and live is a decision that they've made, but yet they want to blame God. Why did he allow this? Why does God this? Why did God that? Why did he allow that to happen? Well, wait a minute. Why were you driving at 90 miles an hour through a neighborhood and, and you ran over a group of children? Uh, that somehow is God's fault that you chose wrongly and you didn't obey the law and then you were distracted because at the same time that you were doing that foolishness you went into a school zone which was uh what i think it's school zone when children in prison is 25 miles an hour and you're still doing 90 and then what are you doing you're texting or trying to answer the telephone while you're driving so then you plow into children and somehow that's God's fault. Well, how did, why did God allow this to happen? Why did God this and why did God that? Well, first of all, it doesn't work that way. This foolish individual made the choice to drive way faster than they should have been, to go into an area where they know that the law tells them they're not supposed to, and that there are many laws in most every state where you're not supposed to be using the phone while you're driving anyway. So how is that God's fault when they chose to do these things? Remember, God gave us a free will choice. So by making that choice, somehow now it becomes God's fault that they chose to do that? Interesting. We need to just be able to trust and rely on him and God wants to deliver peace to us and the best way to receive his peace and that gift that he really wants us to have is to sit quietly and think about him 
and practice his presence with us. Quietness and trusting God. And in part of my reading, it reminds me that that accomplishes far more than we can even possibly imagine by trusting God, waiting on God, and being still in Him. It doesn't require us to be up and darting around everywhere. It allows us the opportunity to release and let go of the problem that we have. <clears throat> and because we are so addicted to zim zamming, zooming around everywhere and trying to get things done, and we are so addicted to having to do, 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 do something. Got to get this done, got to get that done. Got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go. Why? Then we start this guilt thing going on. The devil loves us to feel guilty, but I've shared this with you that in in my heritage and my people used to say that you can only feel guilty if you allow yourself to feel guilty. And you can only be embarrassed if you allow yourself to be embarrassed. So if things are not an embarrassment, and, and why should it be? There are many things that there should be no reason to. Oh, you make me feel so embarrassed. Well, the, first of all, that person is not beating you about the head and shoulders with a club and telling you, you be embarrassed, you be embarrassed, you be embarrassed. I'm not going to stop beating on you until you're embarrassed. Doesn't work that way. Or, oh, you make me feel so guilty. Uh, that person isn't beating you with another club, a guilt stick, and and I'm not going to stop beating on you until you start feeling guilty or you tell me that you feel guilty. I'm not going to stop. It doesn't work that way. So if you're so caught up in having a go, 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 and be doing, 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 and that we fall into that addiction, which is exactly what it is. Um, in my reading and studying, they call it the activity addiction, <laughs> which is a very good term. Pardon me. The activity addiction that we all tend to get. I, I try not to be a party to that anymore. Of course, I'm an old guy, so I kind of like sacking out. I'm looking over here at my support dogs, and they're just, both of them are just so sacked out. One of them is dreaming and sort of twitching. they just kicking back. If we could be like that, and they don't feel guilty at all about it, we shouldn't feel guilty about spending time in God's presence. I share too many times with you. God likes it when we make time to spend time and he will take time to spend time. He likes to abide with us, the abidance. He likes it when we practice his presence and we love to accept his hearness. Remember, I borrowed those from those... Uh, other journal writers but he likes it when we practice his presence and practice his hearness and I love his hearness and when he comes and oh, there's some days when it's just when he's moving around I know he's here I can feel him but then he takes and he he just he'll put his arms around me and it just envelops me in this depth of love that it's just it's very hard for me to describe 
to you. I really, really would like you to have that sensation, feel it because it's wonderful. It is really wonderful. You can have this as well. When you accept Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God, you want to have faith in God and practice His presence being with you and just be still and know that He is God. As Jesus told the disciples, you can find that in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives, and do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. It's his peace. So there's a couple places in Isaiah, actually, that talks about the stillness and resting in God. <clears throat> Pardon me. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest in your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You find that in Isaiah 30 and 15. It's because they had to go, go, go. I mean, you think that this is somehow the word of God is not relevant? <laughs> Come on. It's the same yesterday, today, and for always, the word of God is always relevant. They had the go-go-go issue happening as well. Just a little bit different. A little bit slower. Took them a little bit longer. Instead of being down the road in Emmaus, it took nearly six hours to get down the road. Now it would take five, ten minutes. The same thing. Let me say that again. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it because you somehow get the feeling guilty and that you can't take that time. And remember this too, when I talked about sugarcoating and, and all this about being in God's army and being the warriors and having to wear this, why would he remind us to put on the full armor of God and remind us that he made that for us? if it wasn't necessary, and if we were not in a spiritual warfare, which we are reminded that we are. So why apologize for saying the army of God? Why apologize for wearing an, a suit of armor? Because we are in a spiritual warfare. And somehow people want to get to soft soap and sugarcoat and a, be apologetic for something that the Bible tells us there. And so and then my question is, are you willing to compromise the infallible truths and decide that you should apologize for being truthful? Hmm. Interesting. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We find that word by Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians 10.4. <coughs> and we have... In Isaiah, it talks about waiting on the Lord. Um, we find this in Isaiah, probably one of the, the most um, remembered or most read. <coughs> Pardon me, I'm sorry about that. 
But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. They that wait upon the Lord, the Lord will give them strength. He will guide them. He's going to lift them up, and then you're going to soar on wings as eagles. And the wind beneath your wings. You know, there was that love song duet that was, uh, what was it? I can't remember now who sang that, but there was that song, Wind Beneath My Wings. Anyway, it was one, somebody had died and they sang that song about them. Eh, sorry about that. So anyway, but there are other scriptures in the Bible that talk about waiting on God. David actually writes, uh, I, I, counting 10, 12, 14, 15, I, he, he writes a number of scriptures that we can find in Psalm writing about waiting and abiding and just hanging out with God and being still. And Psalm 4 and 12 Part, the first part of that, that scripture says, stand in awe. So I share this with you, that if you are standing in awe, then you are actually being still because you're not moving around, you're not walking, you're not running, you're not ramming, you're not going anywhere, you're standing still. And you are in awe of God. And that is in 4, Psalm 412, is that what I said? I believe that's what I said. Did I get that wrong? I might have given you the wrong scripture. I'm so sorry about that. If I did that, I apologize. But Paul tells us that we need to stand still in that. I'm so sorry. I, I did give you the wrong chapter. It's not 412, but it's, it is in Psalm, and David talks about standing in awe. So, my point being is that if you're standing in awe and you're standing, then you're, you're not moving around. There's no movement. You're standing still. Oh, I'm sorry. It's in 4-4. Four, four. Where did I get 12? I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. That word, selah, it's a pause. So what you need to do is you need to selah. You need to pause. Quit the fast forward motion of your tape or running your record, which should be in 
33 and you're running it on 78 so that it sounds like uh, the chipmunks or somebody sucking on helium balloons because you're moving too fast. What was that one? Uh, there was a song many years ago. This is when I was really young. I can't remember. Slow down, you're moving too fast. Gotta make this morning last. Sit down, relax with God. It doesn't actually say that part that, that I threw in there, but gotta make the morning last. Take time. And the Bible describes in several locations that the morning is the best time. It's the start of the day. And then for those that say that they can't do it, oh, I gotta get in the shower, I gotta get coffee, I gotta this, I gotta that. Remember, pray with God in the shower. Why are you gonna be embarrassed by talking to God in the shower? Or are you trying to diminish that? He sang over you before you got here. And guess what? He saw you naked. And just like with Adam and Eve, they used to walk in the cool of the day and he used to walk with them and talk with them. They weren't embarrassed until they were given and their eyes were opened by eating of the fruit that God told them not to eat of. But he had given them everything else that they needed. They didn't need that fruit of that tree. It was there. And he said, don't do it. Because, and he didn't expound on this, but he could have. I gave you everything else that you need to eat on, so you don't need to go to that tree. You don't need to eat that fruit. But they listened to the guile of the devil. And they fell. And then, all of a sudden, they decided, oh, look around. And he looked at Eve, and she looked at him and said, oh, my goodness, we're naked. We got we to gotta put something together to put over our bodies. We have nothing on. Had been walking with God for a long time before that. Now they decide that it's embarrassing. So praying in the shower, talking to God in the shower, seeing God in the shower, not a bad thing. It's okay. Sin, take time to rest. Remember Psalm 4.4. Stand in awe. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Put it in pause because that's a good thing. And I apologize about the misdirection with the scripture. And then we find another one. And remember too that if you're standing and you're just standing you're not moving around, you are actually being still. So that's a good thing. And then if we go to Psalm 5, 5 3. My voice shalt out here in the morning. There you go, in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee. And we'll look up. What a time to do this. David started his day with talking to God. I start my day with talking to God. Before I get out of bed in the morning, I talk to God. Sometimes I'm sitting on the edge of the bed before I get to crouch around through the house. And before I sit down and start studying and reading, I talk to God. 
and we have that little communal thing going on that we do. And it's really an awesome thing. And I try to do that because you have to remember this. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't draw your breath. So starting out the day in his presence and sharing and being thankful for the fact that he does that is a good thing. It's a good thing. So now I'm going to jump over to Psalm 15. One and two. Lord, who shall abide, there's that word, abide in thy tabernacle, who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. <clears throat> So who is it that's going to be able to do that and spend time with him and go into his place? That would be any true believer that is practicing being holy. It takes practice in this plane of existence that we're in. Further reading in 15, 3 to 5. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil with his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He would rather something happen to himself than allow something to happen to someone else. That's what that means. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. That means that you're practicing, <coughs> pardon me, righteousness. And then we're going to jump over to Psalm. 25, 3. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. So if you're waiting on God, what do you, what's there to be ashamed of? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then we're going to go to Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Then we're going to go over to 37, 7. See, so it's not just an Isaiah. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Yeah, so it appears that people are getting this and that and the other thing. That's exactly what it is. Merely by appearance. So don't be swayed by that. 
Psalm 40 and 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me. What does that mean, inclined unto me? That means he leaned in. He wanted to be with you. So he leaned into you to visit and take time to abide with you. Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted on the earth. Be still and know that God is God. And he is that. So there are a number of scriptures that remind us that we need to take time with God, spend time with God, take time with God. And probably the best thing is David reminds us that in that morning hour, that morning time, the start of the day, before you get wrapped up and raring to go to everything else, spend time with God. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers, my going out, my coming in every day. Be blessed.